1: Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by t shirtcom the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear.
0: Welcome to the Inside Carolina Coast to Coast podcast. I'm your host, John Siegley. I'm joined as always every week by Sean Moran and Sherelle McMillan. We are sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and dot shirtcom your place to go for Carolina gear. Guys, we are having this podcast after a Carolina victory because UNC was able to beat Syracuse, scoring 92 points up in the carrier dome on Saturday night. So we are going to start the, the conversation off with that performance. And, I mean, it was obviously the three-point barrage that was the difference, Sean. Let's start there. I mean, did you think that this was going to be possible at all, that Carolina would shoot 42% from beyond the arc against the Syracuse Orange?
2: I definitely thought they had an opportunity to play well i was concerned about the three point shooting um definitely didn't expect them to shoot 42% from behind the arc hitting 11 threes and 88% from the free throw line but overall it was just really fun to you know to watch the game and watch them play i'd say the most frustrating point was uh when they had the big lead in the first half and after the timeout put in a different lineup and they gave almost all of it back but then again in the second half they came out and played really well again so uh it was just a game that was fun to watch and finally a game that really everything broke UNC's way and and Syracuse you know they they shot 25 percent from the three-point line and couldn't really get anything going so it was finally you know the the tides and turned and and even at the end you still kind of thought you know is UNC gonna give up some of this lead and Syracuse just kind of backed off and elected to go with their full court press rather than than fouling um and doing some other things. So overall it's a nice, nice game, nice victory and and a two game win streak, which we hadn't had since late
0: January. Yeah Tommy Ashley had a tweet after the game that basically said that Carolina showed what could have been that they showed that they could have had a much better season than what they had if they had gotten some breaks go their way. And, Sherelle, when you're looking at this game in Carolina, their two most important players on offense both turned in great performances, Garrison Brooks and Cole Anthony. Meanwhile, they had one other player step up. In this game, it was Christian Keeling. I mean, that is the recipe for success this year for the Heels, but unfortunately, they have not been able to find their rhythm just due to a wide variety of factors. So when you were watching this game and seeing Garrison kind of dominate down low and then Cole Anthony hit those threes, did you get the sense of just, man, what could have been for Carolina this year? I
1: think from the standpoint
0: of Cole Anthony being injured, yes. Because, I mean, to a T,
1: you know, back in October, if you said, what's the one thing that can't happen in North Carolina for them to have a successful season, it would have been Cole Anthony being injured. So, like... You know, and that happened, and he missed a lot of time so to me, that's the only that's the real big thing to me that that impacted exactly how the season went. you know to some degree, you know you know Brandon Robinson missed uh what five or six games and uh, a couple of others, but I think to me, if you boil it down to one thing, you can't have your best player miss eleven games and expect to you know have the season that you wanted um but at the same point at the same time. Like you talk about, you know, the breaks go their way. You kind of make, you have to make your own breaks at some point. And the other teams, it's not like Carolina, you know, just, you know, they didn't have own goals out there basically. Well, I'll take that back to some degree they did, but the other teams had to take advantage of it in order to win. So the other teams, you know, they, they made their own breaks. When you go through that stretch of all those heartbreaking losses, the teams made shots, you know, whether they were wide open or not. You still have to make them. You have to make your own breaks. And I think Carolina could have done a a little better job of that. You know, just if they split some of those games, you know, we're having a different conversation now. Um, But, yeah, to me, it all goes down to Cole Anthony's injury. And even um, he missed 11 games. You know, there were two games that he played in that you could tell he wasn't 100%. So, for all intents and purposes, there were 13 games where Cole Anthony wasn't healthy between the end of November Um, And then when he came back against Boston College uh, at the end of January or early February, and you just can't have that and, and be successful, even in a down season in the ACC.
0: And the offensive struggles were really there even when Cole came back, and I think that just had a lot to do with him not being 100% healthy, like you mentioned, Shirell, and also just the offense not knowing how to play with each other because you saw a lot of uncharacteristic in a a Roy Williams-style offense, those one-on-one isolation plays, um, players were taking – probably really bad threes or pull-up shots that they shouldn't make. But last night, I think that was much more of the quote-unquote typical offense because you had 25 assists off of 33 made field goals. And I think that's probably something that uh, Roy Williams will be most pleased about after this game. So, you know, as Carolina kind of ends their season coming down the stretch here, I mean, they beat NC State. They've they've now beat Syracuse. They had that super long losing streak, but are they finding their groove a little bit, Sean? And I mean, how do you think this bodes for their final two games against Wake Forest and then against Duke and entering into the ACC tournament?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think one thing you, you mentioned the first question about the zone defense and how that would you know, especially the three point shooting. I, I do think going against the zone. Obviously helped. Um, I think for Cole Anthony, you know, he didn't have somebody dogging him, you know, from the time he crossed the half court line. So he was he was able to get in rhythm from the three point line. He was able to kind of pick his pot uh, spots as a passer. They did a really good job in terms of getting into the middle of the zone, whether it was Pierce or even even Leaky in the second half. And then you know they're also able to dump it down low to Garrison Brooks for um, highly effective shot. So I thought the zone defense. Helped uh, yesterday in terms of the lack of pressure on the ball handlers, uh, but in terms of of how this really shapes up for the the next two games, I think you know Wake Forest hopefully a potential revenge game, and then getting the chance to potentially get revenge against Duke. Overall, it was their best ACC game. They scored one point three one points per possession, which was even higher than the Miami game. Um, and overall, you had you know usually you're talking about one or two players getting an offensive rating over 100 and they almost had the whole team uh do that yesterday Justin Pierce had a 99 rating but you know you had Brooks Cole, Leakey, uh B Rob and Keeling so it was the first time that Brooks Cole, Leakey, and B Rob had gotten uh, offensive ratings over 100 altogether. Uh, they had the Notre Dame game and that was I think it on the year so Going back to the injuries, it helps just to kind of have a full stable of uh, players, and you know I think the next two games will be fun to watch. And it's a little disappointing that we didn't get to see this team, you know, play this way uh, and and play healthy um, for the start of the year because I think they could have at least been in the mix for you know a six to six to eight seed in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, a friend texted me after the game it was like this is what Carolina basketball looks like.
1: And uh, it was the first time in a while, you know, they've played, they've played well. So I wanted to go back to two things. So they've played well in stretches. And I think a part of the problem was they had just figured out how to play without Cole Anthony when Cole Anthony came back. And so it, it, the, the timing wasn't ideal because, you know, they had blown out Miami. They had gone to NC state. They had manufactured offense. They were you know, kind of bludgeoning people in the paint. And Licky was being very careful with the ball, and Keeling was making a couple shots, and Robinson was making a couple shots, and Garrison was just doing his thing. So they had figured out that's how, you know, they were going to win without Cole Anthony, and he comes back the next game. And so then the schedule, you know, got tougher. Well, they lost against Boston College his first game back, and then they had Florida State, and then they had Duke, and, and the schedule got a little tough there. And so it took them a few games to say, okay, we figured out how to play without Cole, Now, how do we figure out, you know, to play how we were playing without Cole with Cole, if that makes any sense. And I think we're finally the last couple of games starting to see, um, like Sean said, what the team would have looked like had everybody stayed healthy, healthy the entire year. Like everyone is starting to play some of their best basketball, or I should say most of the people are starting to play their best basketball. For me, nothing they did against Syracuse looked fluky. I mean, even against Duke, I thought it was a lot more of effort and and pushing the ball and getting out in the open court versus this game was just kind of surgical in that the ball swung from side to side. They made open shots when they had them. They grabbed offensive rebounds when they needed to. They made their free throws. Like to me, it it was just it was everything that you'd been hoping for. We talked about them playing a complete game. It was as complete, um, you know, save that four minute stretch at the end of the first half um as as they played since Duke and really to me probably better than Duke just because um of how so many people stepped up at different times and then Cole Anthony to me I mean I, I thought that was his best game he just looked super smooth and in control and like Sean said it's, got, it's probably because he didn't have people you know picking him up full court and having to spend a lot of energy that way so um it's coming at the right time but you know, the last time they won two games in a row, which was Miami N T State, and we thought they had a beatable opponent at home who was in the lower half of the ACC. It was Boston College then. Now it's Wake Forest. Um, you know, they didn't play well and they lost. So um, hopefully they've learned from that and we'll, we'll see what happens on Tuesday.
2: In terms of, of Cole Anthony going seven for 11, not sure we'll we'll see that again, but I thought he was feeling very confident from three. And there are a few times where I thought he might take a heat check three and he decided, to, you know, I'm sure he thought about it, but he decided to work the offense and probably ended up with a pretty good, good shot, uh, either from, you know, Brooks or somebody else, you know, he had. Uh, seven assists, two turnovers. I thought there was several times where uh, he had a really nice pass and somebody else just didn't convert. So he could have easily had eight or nine assists. And I think that's been one of uh, the deficits on him is, is, has been his assist-to-turnover ratio. So it was nice to see that. I mean, even NC State, he had uh, five assists and, and five turnovers. So he was able to, to bring that back down. And even though he wasn't really attacking the basket, uh, just did a very good job running the floor and and determining the the pace of play. You know, part of that probably on the other side is going against another freshman and Joe Girard, who he knows from New York and knows from the AAU world, and he probably doesn't think Girard is in his level. So I'm sure that also gave him confidence in terms of thinking he is that much better than the opposing player uh, in terms of his overall gameplay yesterday.
0: So let me take a very quick commercial break before we wrap up the talk about Syracuse. And I'm going to talk about our longtime friends, giant t-shirt and giant You hear us talk about them on every inside Caroline podcast. And there is a very good reason for that is because they are the absolute best place to find your Tar Heel gear. If you need anything for the winter months or the spring coming up, Any sport at all, including the baseball, which is going on right now, football jerseys, basketball jerseys. I think they might even have some lacrosse, some soccer jerseys, anything that you could possibly want. You can find it there at Giant T-Shirt. They have been in business on Franklin Street for decades. They also have the absolute best customer service. If you can't make it to Chapel Hill, you can always shop online at T-shirt.com. You can find the same great customer service and the same awesome selection. And don't forget that if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get 10% off of your orders there at the location in Chapel Hill or online at shirt.com. You can get that 10% off code from the Tar Pit Premium Message Board or the Basketball Premium Message Board. So that's shirt giantteacher and shirt.com, your place to go for Carolina gear. So guys, let's go and wrap up the Syracuse conversation with this. Talk about the defense that UNC showed in this game because, you know, Syracuse was held to 6 for 24 overall from 3, and sure, they did miss some open shots, but I think Carolina did a very good job of closing down their shooters as well. You know, they only shot 28 of 63 from the floor overall, and you know, Carolina was able to really get Syracuse kind of out of their element in in sense of they were having to actually play a little bit faster than I think uh Beheim would have actually wanted them to play. So, you know, as as we sit here looking at again the rest of the season, how do you think they're coming around on the defensive end? Sherelle, let's get your thoughts on that first.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a little better. Uh part of it uh, you know to me I thought Syracuse was really undisciplined in in how they approached the game offensively. And I know that's p- part of it is Gerard and Beheim And Hughes, uh, you know, they can make shots from pretty much anywhere, but some of some of their shot selection just to me was questionable at best, and played right into UNC's hands. I mean, if you know you have a team who is a great rebounding team, who loves to get out in tempo, then you should put a premium on making sure you get a really good shot. And there are times when there were still, you know, twenty seconds left on the shot clock, and Gerard is taking a twenty-seven or twenty-eight foot three. So I think North Carolina was aided by Syracuse shot selection, but. The part of it is too is that North Carolina probably forced them into some, some difficult shots. And I don't know if Syracuse has played a team with maybe the length that North Carolina had, especially when they were in the uh, Anthony Robinson leaky front court or, excuse me, back court. Um, because, you know, leaky 6'8, Robinson is kind of a long 6'5, and you have Cole at 6'3. And that, that's a lot of size and a lot of length and a lot of athleticism to deal with. Um, and then, you know, obviously Garrison Brooks is there in the middle kind of holding things down we know how good of a defender he is so I, I think it was partly Syracuse's shot selection but also um North Carolina you know playing pretty good defense in their, their length bothering uh Syracuse
2: yeah I agree with Cheryl on both points there I think the one thing I was looking for I've really enjoyed watching Elijah Hughes play this year and I would I would guess he'll most likely be headed to the NBA even even though he's kind of projected as a second round pick, but I thought he could give UNC problems and he ended up shooting uh, five for 16 and just really lacked a lot of aggressiveness at times during the game. But you know, at parts Leaky was on him and at parts B-Rob was on him. And there were times where he did get the ball at the top of the key and, and you knew he was going to try to attack the basket. And to Leahy's credit, he, you know, I wouldn't say he's uh, known as a lockdown defender yet, but he stayed with him. Uh, the, I think there was one possession in the second half where he ended up staying with him and, and blocked a shot out of bounds. Uh, you had both, both B Rob and Leakey contesting his three-point shot, so that it, you know he wasn't getting his. He he loves a one-dribble hesitation, pull up into a three, so he wasn't really getting clean looks at that. And you know, for him. For him to struggle uh, goes a long way because, as as Cheryl said, you have Joe Girard pulling up from from deep, which is probably not the shot that Jim Bayheim wants. You know, you also had, uh, you know, one of their other top players in, in foul trouble only played a handful of minutes. But I did think the man to man defense on, on Elijah Hughes was was pretty good for the
0: majority of the game. Good deal, guys. All right, let's go ahead and end the talk on this matchup between UNC and Syracuse. But I'm just curious if you guys saw the tweets that went out that ESPNU was airing a replay of a pretty famous matchup between Carolina and Syracuse back from 1987. Did you guys watch that one by any chance? Uh, Nope, I I did not. Were you able to catch it, Sherell? I I wasn't. Was that the uh, Elite Eight game? No, that was actually, I think it was the first game of the season when Syracuse uh, was number
1: one. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I didn't see that
0: one. Caroline played without Reed. Yeah, it was uh, on ESPNU. It was kind of cool. I saw a couple of the UNC Twitter accounts tweeting it out. I think they aired it like just in in the middle of the day and, you know, seeing uh, Bayheim much younger and then, of course, Dean himself on the sidelines. Just uh, It was a really cool game to watch to see that, you know, this is a rivalry that has gone back decades and it's kind of underrated in the grand scheme of things. But let's go ahead then and switch focus over to kind of the general ACC talk, guys, because this has just been a crazy year overall. We've said it a bunch. And I think it's kind of a, a common thought now that this is just not a very good, good college basketball season. On Saturday alone, there were a bunch of upsets. TCU beat Baylor. Um, Clemson beat Florida State. And then, of course, the one that Carolina fans probably enjoyed the most, Virginia was able to beat Duke. So, as we sit here on Sunday morning, I'm looking at the ACC standings, and Florida State is still number one overall, 14 and four. Then Louisville's right behind them, 14 and four. And then Virginia and Duke are 13 and five. And the next closest after that is a bunch of teams tied at nine and nine. So, I mean, you know, we're two games away, guys, from the ACC tournament starting. Is there anything that you can kind of say is a definite right now when it comes to ACC basketball during this season?
2: Well, I think, you know, you, you hit it on the head. It's It's been a down year in college basketball. And you look at the ACC and you have a team such as Virginia that is challenging for the conference title. And then you go out to the West Coast and you have a team, UCLA, that UNC beat fairly handily, um, as well as Oregon. And UCLA is now... I think, on top of the the pac twelve conference, so um you know overall a lot of not, a lot of not very good basketball going on throughout the throughout the coast, but in terms of the a c c yeah, you mentioned the the four teams, and I still think it 's crazy that Virginia' is even in this discussion um you know watched the majority of their game yesterday, which was Extremely difficult. Uh, Thought it'd be first to 50 to win that game. Uh, I think, I think Duke did make it to 51st and then uh, Virginia came down and and scored. Of course, you know, going against UVA, Duke did not hit the shots that they, they were hitting against UNC, but you know, it kind of goes to a question and I, I brought it up to Ben and Terrell earlier this week of, you know, why is, you know, why is not pretty much any, every coach in America trying to play this pack line D, um, you know, I don't think you're gonna be able to play it as well as what Tony Bennett has put in, but it has to be one of the best systems uh college basketball has seen in the the twenty first century. I mean, right now UVA this is easily their worst offense that Tony Bennett has, has ever coached. I mean, they're they're ranked number two hundred and twenty first in the Ken Pom rankings, but Here they are with only five ACC losses and seven overall losses, and not a very very talented team. I think when you look at the ACC tournament, I would say you know the only team that, and I wouldn't even say really concerns me, but the only I'd say the most difficult team is going to be Louisville from a UNC perspective. Every other team, I think they would have a good shot at. And when you go up all the way up to NC State, Syracuse, Notre Dame, it you know, Clemson, even Georgia Tech at all those teams at nine and nine. And I would say UNC playing healthy and playing at full strength um, is kind of a step above those teams. But yeah, the ACC has been it's been a weird season. Um, definitely has not been a strong season. And I think March Madness is going to be extremely interesting to see if these teams are getting upset by the, the mid-majors or maybe, you know, there's one or two that is able to make a make a deep run because of their their schedule.
0: Yeah, Sherelle, do you see a lot of separation amongst the ACC teams this year? Because I feel that in years past, you you had kind of, there was a clear top tier and that was usually Carolina, Duke and Virginia. But this year, now that you have Florida State and Louisville at the very top, I mean, I think Sean is right that the Cardinals probably have the most talent and probably the highest ceiling, but they have not played really too many complete games over the season. I think they've had some very unexpected losses. So I mean, looking at it from top to bottom, is there really a whole lot of just separation and differential between the ACC teams this year in your eyes? I, I think those four, I mean, Virginia's played its way to me uh, into being kind of the fourth team. I think those four
1: um, are good, but I don't think to your point, there's much separation between, you know, say the third team and the 10th team. Um, granted, they have better records. So their separation that way. But I think if you put them on the court for one game, uh, you know, I wouldn't feel particularly confident this year about what the outcome was going to be. Like you're telling me that if somehow North Carolina gets to say Thursday of the ACC tournament, whoever they play, isn't going to be like, Oh my gosh, you know, this is the team we had to play on the, uh, in the court, in our first game. Um, so in that aspect, I, I think, um, there's not much separation, but as far as how their seasons have gone, yeah, I think Florida State, Louisville, Duke, and now Virginia are are kind of head and shoulders above the rest. Um, you know, once you get to the NCAA tournament, you know, it's a it's a one-game sample, anything can happen, all that good stuff. But I, I do think, and and maybe folks don't want to hear this, but I do think Duke has um, the ingredients I would look for more so than other teams when it comes to the NCAA tournament, just because they have an experienced point guard. And they have a big guy who they can throw the ball to, and he can go get them 30 points if they need to. And everything else will kind of pivot off of that. You know, I, I have some questions about Florida State and their ability to score and then playing away from home and, and, and those things. I think Louisville is a good team, and I think Virginia just doesn't have enough offense. And, Sean, you know, I, I know what you said about pack line but I I, I hope and pray <laughs> that everybody doesn't start using the pack line because if so, it's going to make basketball completely unwatchable. Amen. Uh, oh, even my though, God, amen. Even, even though, uh, and, you know, this is a conversation to have, you know, maybe over the summer. You know, we start throwing out hypotheticals, but I think more than anything, fans like winning. So to me, the the how you win shouldn't matter as long as you do, even though I personally don't like to look at that style of play. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But anyway, that was that was a quick aside. But yes, there is not as much separation as far as like how good the teams are, who can beat who, I think, in the ACC this season. But at the same time, I do think those four have kind of differentiated themselves from the rest of the conference.
2: Well, you brought up you brought up Duke and you know them potentially having the ingredients to make a run, which which I think they could as long as they're avoiding certain matchups. And you know, watching the UVA game yesterday, that it was really you know their best two players, Vernon Carey and Trey Jones. Those were the only two that were able to really do anything. And you had the freshmen really relegated to nothing. You had Stanley who who played 29 minutes and and had four points, and then Wendell Moore played 20 minutes and had two points. So they were, you know, I thought those two would be able to make a difference, but it just goes to show you the level of talent they had last year um, versus, versus this year with the freshmen. And then you get down to, to Matthew Hurt. And I know there was a good thread on the the message boards this week in terms of how a lot of the, the top freshmen had been doing, especially the ones that UNC was interested in. And once again, Hurt, Got the start and was basically rendered useless going against Diakite, where he was too weak and slow to get by him on the perimeter, and uh, you know only was able to get off one three, point, one 3 point field goal. So you know here's a guy that was five star status. Roy really went after him pretty well and or pretty hard, and he just has not been able to find the groove at all this year at Duke, and most likely I would say he'll be returning for
0: for a second year. All right. Good stuff, guys. Let's go ahead and wrap up the ACC talk with that. Um, I think probably as we get closer to the NCAA tournament time and the award season, we can talk about maybe some players that caught your guys' eyes during the ACC season. So just get the notepads ready for that one but for now let's go ahead and take our last course break and when we get back going to discuss a topic that kind of set the message board on fire a little bit over the last couple of days so stay tuned we'll be right back after this this episode is brought to you by progressive
1: insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds
0: And we are back with the Inside Caroline podcast. John Siegley here with Sean Moran and Cheryl McMillan. Guys, let's wrap up the podcast with this former UNC recruit, Greg Brown. His father recently did an interview. I believe it was with the Michigan Insider. If that's the website I'm looking at here. Where you know, Greg Brown is down to five schools, Memphis, Texas, Kentucky, Auburn, Michigan, UNC, obviously, obviously is, is no longer recruiting him, but uh, he's still brought up North Carolina in this one. So, Cheryl, I'm going to give you the floor here. Can you kind of provide a brief summary of what uh, Brown's father said about Coach Williams and the Tar Heels?
1: Uh, So. Before we do that, let's do a quick retrospective about everything that happened. So North Carolina watched him one summer, were really interested. Um, They liked him. And then basically nothing happened for about six or seven months. And then Roy Williams took a trip, uh, I believe it was January of 18, um, down to Texas. And soon thereafter, uh, Greg Brown got an offer. It was January of 19, excuse me. So this is all last year. Um, About a month and a half later, Brown visited for the Duke game. And Greg Brown Sr. gave the most compelling, um, you know, red meatish to the fan base interview I think we've ever had on IC. Just absolutely raving about North Carolina, raving about the atmosphere, talking about the connections. You know, he played for Mac Brown. Uh, Greg Brown Sr. played football for Mac Brown at Texas. You know, they were family friends with Rasheed Wallace. There were all these connections, and he talked about how hard it was to, you know, going to be the top North Carolina, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, he put out a top 10 list and um, there are some schools there that North Carolina doesn't typically, you know, compete against on the recruiting trail. Um, And then it seemed like every time, you know, we asked him, there hadn't been much contact with North Carolina. And, um, you know, it got to the point where in July, when people were asking about Roy Williams watching uh, Texas Titans on the EYBL circuit, Nike, um, we were saying, well, he's there for Cade Cunningham and not for Greg Brown. Uh, and then Brown visited unofficially for late night with Roy back in September. He stayed one night um, and he got sick and flew home. And that was kind of that. And I don't think I don't I'm pretty sure no one from North Carolina's had contact with Brown since. So that's kind of how his recruitment went from a North Carolina standpoint, you know, in public. I think behind the scenes, the issue is that Brown won positionally, maybe didn't fit exactly where um didn't want to play exactly where North Carolina wanted him, or or saw him playing. Uh, I think also that his de- his um, decision to wait until the spring to make a announcement on on a college also hindered North Carolina because Roy Williams made it clear behind the scenes that he didn't want a repeat of what happened with the 2019 class, where you know they're going into you know March with two commitments. Now they got Pierce and Harris and Anthony and Keeling all in the spring, but you know, Roy doesn't want to operate that way. And they made it very clear to pretty much everyone that they didn't want to wait until the spring to finish their class. And so when Brown said he wanted to wait until the spring, you know, well kind of, there you go. And the other thing was, even if they did, they would have lost out on Walker Kessler more than likely. And their chance at Dustin Garcia, who's a power forward from Minnesota that they all also looked at. So, um, you know, it would have cost a lot to stay in the recruitment of someone that they weren't sure they were going to get. And ultimately, that's one of the reasons or the main reason, I think, they bowed out of it. Um, So that's kind of where um, Brown's recruitment, that's the history of Brown's recruitment, I guess, from a North Carolina perspective.
0: Yes, Sean, have you ever or can you ever recall a parent of a player just kind of going in at a school and a coach basically without prompting uh, like Brown did in this situation, I'm sure I've seen it a, f- a few times. Um,
2: I don't think anything to this extent. However, I think it was just a few weeks prior. There was another Greg Brown article, and he uh, the the father made some of the similar mentions. I don't think he went into as much detail or as much hate in in those quotes, but there was um, you know a few statements about the lack of UNC's effort or recruiting um and they could have had Greg Brown so haven't haven't really seen anything especially lately and especially anything regarding regarding North Carolina but um uh, you know I mean it would be it would be nice to envision him running the floor in the fast break and he's easily the most athletic player and and high flying wing in the in the current uh high school class so you know, it would be fun to imagine him throwing down Alley Oops and, and Dunks on the break, but even back uh the last time I interviewed him was in April of uh the Final Four during the uh one of the USA basketball events that they, they had in Minneapolis. And even at that point, uh kind of behind the scenes, it had seen it had seemed as though UNC had already trailed off uh a lot, which you know, had me thinking back to his father's quotes. And I was curious about that.
1: And I, I would just add that the first time I talked to uh, Brown senior was, it's been a couple of years ago. And I know the interview, I'm not trying to defend what he's saying. So please don't interpret this as me taking his side, you know, over Roy Williams or anything. Um, but you know, the first time we talked to him, he was talking about, uh, Uh, some kid from ninth grade when when greg was in ninth grade and how he wanted to bust his we'll say behind he chose another word but how he wanted to bust his behind because they want to be the best and they want to beat the best and um so to me the interview wasn't that surprising because that's how he always talks you know the the specific words were a little probably extra um but i you know when it's wrapped up in positivity, which is what we got uh, back in, I guess a year ago after the new game, you know, that is, it, it sounds great to defend base when it's kind of wrapped in negativity. I could see how it would ruffle the feathers and, and rub people the wrong way. Um, but I, you know, it is consistent. I will say that it's not, it's not like he just all of a sudden decided to start talking this way specifically about North Carolina, just who he is. He believes in being blunt and direct. Um, and, and that's why it came out the way it did. So it's not, it's not anything I would say specifically Carolina. He just talks that way about pretty much everything because he's a passionate dude. Now he probably could have you know, done it a little differently, but then if he did it a little differently, he wouldn't be himself. So um, that's why it, it was delivered the way it was. And again, I'm not taking his side or anything, just kind of explaining the particular behavior to you.
0: I think recruiting is just something that it can ruffle people's feathers. I mean, it's like you said, Terrell, UNC – was not really in a position to wait on Brown's timeline. And you know I think that that's kind of fair as long as everyone's up front with each other. I mean, Brown said he's not going to make a decision and UNC said, well, we can't really wait because then we're going to miss out on other guys. And that's just the nature of recruiting in general. So let's kind of, I guess, wrap it up with that. Um, Talking about recruiting moving forward, I mean, Sean, do you think that this is something that Roy williams and his staff may have to address with future prospects or is this kind of something that you know it's a, it's a blip message boards eat it up fans get all irate but then in the grand scheme of things it really is not going to make you know a real noticeable impact moving forward yeah i
2: think in the long term it, it won't make a difference i think in the short term uh it could most likely be be easily explained and and usually when you go through a recruitment um you know UNC comes out pretty well even when they don't get the guy, and all you have to do is go back to one of Jalen Brown's interviews that was floating around during the All Star weekend in terms of, uh, you know how how much he he thought of Roy Williams after the recruitment, even though he didn't go there. So I think in the long term it's just a a blip. And you know the funny thing to me was he did mention I think it was the director of recruiting, which is Kendall, and I think overall in the recruiting. Sense uh, that position just kind of continues to enhance what UNC's doing and gives UNC kind of a, an extra layer of being able to kind of reach out to these kids and and um, kind of touch base with them so that the little quote about the director of recruiting kind of caught my eye and I think it just um, you know was very smart on on UNc's part to, to hire Kendall for that spot and looking forward to seeing you know seeing how much you he can help the program with recruiting
1: the answer is no they they don't have to address it there there's no for one that's not how they do things two why i mean we're talking about greg brown who is a, a very good player who's going to be in college for one year and then go to the nba so what possible ramifications that would come from you know greg brown senior thinking that north carolina didn't recruit his son the hardest maybe if there he has another son or or a cousin or something is the only way that would ever hurt, hurt north carolina so i mean i, I think that's pretty immaterial and you know, they signed a, a top three recruiting class and they have, you know, two really good post players coming in and they have a really good point guard coming in and a really good combo guard coming in and a really good uh, wing coming in. So, uh, you know, the whole, they can't recruit thing is, you know, that's kind of where he lost me a little bit. The The rest of the behavior I think can be explained by circumstance and by how, how, you know, how he is and, and who he is and how he likes to do things, which is his prerogative. But when you start saying stuff like they can't recruit, I'm like, well, just just look at the, you know, Nasir Little and Kobe White and Cole Anthony and Armando Baycott and Caleb Love and Dayron Sharp and Walker Kessler. So it's like, you know, let's, if you're going to have criticisms, let's be truthful in the criticisms.
0: Very well said, guys. I think we can go ahead and wrap up the podcast with that. Appreciate you guys speaking with me on this Sunday and hope that you both have a great rest of your weekends. Sounds good. Thank you, John.